Hello, everybody. Welcome to At Home with us, Linda and Drew Scott. This is a show where we chat with artists, experts, dreamers, and doers, and leaders and change makers, makers and shakers, makers and shakers. Yes, makers of impact that they'll create in the world starting at home. Mm-hmm. We find inspiration in the big and the small moments, in success and failures, and we're always looking for ways that we can better our relationships with ourselves. Our communities and our planet, and me, and you specifically, you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, we truly believe that any difference we want to make out there in the big, great world, it starts right here at home and with ourselves. One conversation at a time, like this conversation right now. Speaking of conversations, uh-huh. we are well into the month <laughs> of love. Although, I mean, when is it not month of love? I think every month is a month of love for us. Are you just being extra sweet? I'm being very sweet. (laughs) Are you trying to get brownie points for something? Well, we're leading up to, you know, Valentine's isn't far off. Yeah. And Lunar New Year is right around the corner on February 12th. And guess what? It's the year of... Linda. Yep. It's It's the the year year of the ox. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. Uh... So I always joke that I'm an ox. My zodiac sign is an ox and my horoscope sign is Taurus. So. You're super stubborn like a bull. Right. So, but what you're saying is life is tough for me. Life is great for you. We're both Tauruses. So we're both stubborn. You're a Taurus and you're the year of the horse. So. Oh, so I'm like, am I like a thoroughbred or? (laughs) You're a hard worker. I think that's what my parents would say. So hold on a second. Lunar New Year. Is that like a a designated holiday? We take the day off and celebrate? Yeah, you should. And eat mooncakes and do dragon dances. I can do that. That's a holiday I don't mind celebrating. Really? Drew has a thing about holidays and it makes you sound like a Grinch, but there is some validity to what you you say because you always say there's always something. There's always a holiday. Like why do we have to celebrate certain things only on certain no, days? Like n- someone made it up. No, well, someone did make it up. Look at Valentine's Day. That was totally like right. a Hallmark thing. They made it up to make money. I, I just find like Mother's Day, Father's Day, all these sort of things because I want to celebrate my mom every day. I want to celebrate my dad every day. Yeah. I want to celebrate you every day, love every day instead of just on Valentine's Day. Birthdays are fine. I get that. It's yeah. just so happens we have a big family, so we have lots of birthdays. Yeah, that stuff like love and family should just be celebrated all the time. I agree, which actually brings us to Black History Month. Our guest today, Emmanuel Acho, he made a really good point that we should be celebrating this year round, not just in February. In a few weeks, we'll be celebrating Valentine's Day. But if you only ever celebrated your significant other on that day, it would actually undermine the relationship that you all have in the same manner. Don't just celebrate Black History on Black History Month, but educate yourselves and celebrate Black History because it is our history all year long. As we celebrate Black History Month this year, we need voices like Emmanuel Acho's more than ever. Emmanuel is a New York Times bestselling author of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. He also is a host of that channel on YouTube. And this is a safe place to have the uncomfortable conversations about race that many people have never been able to have. And he aims to remove barriers and open up the discussion candidly, which I really do appreciate. He almost makes you feel like he's opening up his arms for a big warm hug to come over and sit down and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And for so long, so many people have been nervous to ask these questions. So his work and his message is just so powerful, yet it, it is just straightforward. It's having hard conversations that'll help us find common ground. 
Yeah, through compassion, understanding, and celebrating diversity. Yeah. And that truly is something we should celebrate, that we are all different. It's not something to fight over. Mm-hmm. So this month, while love is on the brain, we want to share stories that encourage us all to love one another beyond romantic love. Yeah, love is not just reserved for our partners or our families. There's enough to go around to every single person on this planet. If you haven't already read his book, be sure to check the show notes where we'll link to the book as well as other resources to explore. Emmanuel hopes his book will be passed down from generation to generation to truly affect change. This is Emmanuel Lacho. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. (laughs) Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Your book is so inspiring. You create conversation. You're you're bridging divides. Um, Do you love what you do? I mean, I I know you say this is your calling, but do you love what you do? Um, what I do is very fulfilling. Um, I find love in what I do, but I don't, I never fall in love with what I do. If, if that makes some sense. Like I, I, I find love in, in, in mending, uh, broken and fractured relationships. I find love in seeing people being enlightened and seeing hearts turn. I find love in seeing people that are on the verge of ending relationships because they have a communication issue about race. I find love in seeing that being mended, but I'm not like in love with that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm not in love with, with the work of it all because contrary to popular belief, you can get tired from doing a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of people are like, well, Emmanuel, when's the next episode? When's the next this? When's the next mm-hmm. book? And I'm like, y'all do realize like, this is still work. And this is my secondary job. So I'm not in love with it, but I find love in it. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very eloquent distinction. Is that like when someone tells you like, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just break up with us? Like, right? I'm like, except Linda, that's usually before a breakup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so where have been the, like, where have you found love um, that has been the most surprising for you? In general or in these conversations? Uh, just in general in life, like where is someone so unexpected that you ended up finding love? Um, yeah. That's really good. I think that what I am probably in love with is kind of communicating with people and, and seeing like their lives turn or hopeless people finding hope, finding hope or people that lack joy, finding joy. Like that's mm. what truly 
makes me makes life worth living for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I grew up in the church, so I'm big on my relationship with God. I'm big on my relationship with Christ. Like I'm in love with with those things, with people really figuring out what life is all about, with people finding their callings, not just running on this hamster wheel of trying to earn all this money, to spend all this money, just to earn all this money. But mm-hmm. I'm in love with finding purpose. Mm-hmm. Um you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in love with that because life is short. I think we've all realized, particularly in, in our past year of 2020. So I'm in love with just like genuinely caring for other people because I think that's when you truly find life. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's you ooze that passion that you have for, for love and life and, and seeing those connections. I mean, I can feel it through Zoom right now. <laughs> But uh, so let's go back. Yo, to can your... I say this? Can I say? Can yeah. I just say how cute y'all are? I've never done a Zoom with people holding hands. <laughs> I've, never, like, I've never done a Zoom. Like it's just so adorable. Uh, we can all hold just, hands here. It's just, it's, it's just so. It's just so adorable. That's adorable. We're not wearing pants. That's that's the creepy side. But at least we're holding hands to make it cute. Uh, yeah. So let's go back to your childhood a little bit. I mean, with this passion that you have and that, that love for finding those connections and, and seeing joy brought to people's lives. Um, tell us about growing up for you and, um, that sense of pride that your parents instilled in you. I know, um, you said you, you, your, your, you grew up in a neighborhood. It was a, a more, um, influential neighborhood. And so you didn't have some of the, um, the, the troubles that some kids had growing up in different neighborhoods, but yeah, I'd love to hear your story as a child. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas and Dallas proper, not to be confused with the suburb. You know, some people are like, yeah, I'm from Dallas, but really they not from Dallas. <laughs> um, so I am from Dallas proper, but my parents were born and raised in Nigeria. So came to America Um, I was first generation American. So I grew up with Nigerian culture through and through, you know, in our household, my parents might say in their Nigerian accent, you must be a doctor. You must be a lawyer. You must be an engineer. Like you're supposed to be doctor, lawyer, engineer, some sort of hardworking, overachieving intellectual. Well, Drew, I looked up, I was 6'2", 240 pounds. I was like, I guess I'll play football. (laughs) Um, So started playing football, but I, I was in a very, kind of strict and stringent household. My dad, he's a pastor and a marital counselor. My mom has her doctorate in nurse practicing. And so for for the Acho household, it was just all work all the time. And um, I think that's what really made me me. My parents, every summer, we would go on a medical mission trip to Nigeria, which my parents started with our nonprofit, Living Hope Ministries. And I saw my parents go with 40 doctors and nurses to rural villages of Nigeria, Linda. I'm not talking about, you know, five-star mission trips where you're staying in the fancy hotels. No, my dad built a compound in the middle of nowhere. Think about seeing essentially a compound in the middle of a jungle. And from there, we would just do um, optometry, ophthalmologists. We would go with surgeons. And and finally, we built a hospital after nine years of fundraising. The reason wow. I tell this story is because it made me me. It allowed me to realize that I, in America, even though I didn't have it all, I still have more than most. It made me realize it truly is better to give than to receive. And more than anything, after I, I play in the NFL and I'm living the American dream, if you will, it kept me humble. And I think mm. that's what really has most impacted my life. Yeah, that's that's such an incredible childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering, growing up with uh, a nurse practitioner as your mom, 
uh, and your dad as a marriage counselor and pastor, like were, were they very intentional? I mean, it sounds like yes, but like, I'm just wondering, like, how was that upbringing? What are the words they tell you, you know, about, about care and love and giving back? Or do you just do it through action, through volunteering? It's a phenomenal question. I fervently believe that more is caught than is taught. Mm. So you can tell your kids, your friends, your siblings, whatever, you can tell them until they're blue in the face what to do. Mm. But what are they showing you? Mm. Right. Mm. Every Sunday I watched my dad stand in front of a congregation of people speaking an encouraging message. I watched my dad dress up to the nines in different suits. Every summer I watched my parents go back to Nigeria. I never saw my parents drink alcohol in the house. I never heard them cuss. So I still haven't drank alcohol. I don't cuss very often. Not because they told me not to, Mm. not because it's wrong or sinful, because it's not. But rather, I just caught that. Mm. And so I, I, to Linda, to answer your question, my parents didn't say as much as they did. Mm. And I believe in the quote of your actions speak so loud, I can't hear what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this is my parents' actions spoke so loud that they didn't have to say much at all. I can hear your dad in you. I mean, <laughs> did he ever get, were you at, at your church, did you ever get involved? Did you ever do any sermons? Because I can, I can hear it in you. It's funny. I didn't. And I had over the course of uncomfortable conversations with a black man. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. Over the course of that, this this pastor came up to me and he said, don't get behind a pulpit. He said, this is your pulpit. Mm. See, what people don't realize when I'm having my conversations, I am just taking what I know through experience, putting it in an analogy form that can be easily digested. Mm-hmm. And that's oftentimes what you hear in Saturday, Sunday congregations of any sort of form of worship mm-hmm. is how can you take information and repackage it so that the listeners can digest it? Um, mm-hmm. So funny enough, drew no desire to ever get behind a pulpit, but I do think <laughs> that my life is kind of my message. Yeah. In Emmanuel's book, he talked about the breadth of culture he experienced growing up in Nigerian culture at home with his parents, and then also the white culture of private school. And then going to college was a culture shock from seeing country white folk to urban black people with different upbringings and different family dynamics all in one place. And and let me say this, let me say this, because I've said this before, but never to you all. After So during college, I was kind of confused because in high school, I was really confused. Remember, I told you, by, by skin color, high school, I'm black. Black as can be, dark. But I was, by culture, white and Nigerian. And we have to remember, there's a delineation between color and culture. So we don't talk about that enough in our country or in society at large. So now I go to college, and I'm even more confused because in high school, all my white friends were telling me, Emmanuel, you're not black. You don't talk like you're black. You don't dress like you're black. Or Drew, I might hear, Emmanuel, you're like an Oreo, black on the outside, white on the inside. Because I guess to be black to my white friends was to be a thug or a gangster or hood or uneducated. So now I get to college and I'm no longer dealing with those stereotypes. So now I'm just kind of enlightened to like, man, that was so rude, racially insensitive Mm -hmm. and racially ignorant what these high school friends and quotes of mine were saying. Can you describe the moment you felt called to become this voice of unity through conversations? My first episode of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, I released it on June 1st. 
And five days later, I get a call from a no-caller ID number. It's Matthew McConaughey. And I pick it up, and he's like, Acho, McConaughey speaking. I want to have a conversation. I'm like, McConaughey? Like, Matthew McConaughey? He's like, uh, he's like, yeah, man, I'd love to talk to you. I said, well, I'm recording episode two in about four days. He says, let's do it tomorrow. Oh, oh, okay, McConaughey wants to do it tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> so now get this. So now, Drew, I, I record episode two with McConaughey the next day, and it drops. Now I get a call from Oprah Winfrey. Hey, Emmanuel, um, you have any time later today? Or team says, I'm like, do I have time for Oprah? Duh, I have time. Um, and so, oh, uh, but that was another no-caller ID number. And the next no-caller ID number was Oprah Winfrey. My last no-caller ID number call I got um, was from the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell. And so, Drew, I say this. Your calling will call you pick up. Mm. See, because my calling... Matthew McConaughey calls me Saturday morning, no caller ID. Then Oprah calls me and says, hey, I want to partner with you on a book that I hear that you're writing. Then commissioner of the NFL calls me all no caller ID numbers, which typically we look at and we ignore. Mm -hmm. But my calling called me and I just happened to pick up. Now, that's a play on words, but it's actually literal. The moment of the murder of George Floyd in 2020, I didn't want to have these conversations. That's why early on, uh, either Drew or Linda, you asked me, do you love it? Like, not really. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't love having to talk about race, but mm-hmm. the moment called me to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I just said, here I am, I'll answer that call. We wondered how one actually keeps themselves open to be able to hear a calling, because I'm sure that not every calling will be as clear and literal as a call from Oprah. But now... <laughs> I'm going to make sure I answer all of my no caller ID calls just in case. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's all telemarketing, but I hope that one Oprah call comes through or Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> but I think if we were to attempt to put it into any sort of how to, I'd say that we just have to keep our eyes and our hearts open and to never underestimate the power of our own personal experiences and how that might really positively affect others. Bingo. I do not believe in luck. Um, I believe that Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Mm. I said, okay, well, let's put it like this. Remember, I grew up all white people, Mm -hmm. but I was born in black skin with Nigerian people. Then I play in the NFL with predominantly black people. So now, Drew, I am in a variety of cultures. Linda, let's go back to high school. Remember in high school, you took a foreign language more than likely, but your teacher probably told you, Hey, if you want to be fluent in this foreign language, mm. you have to immerse yourself in that culture. See, Linda, you can have a Spanish-speaking friend, or Drew, you can love Spanish-speaking music, but if you wanted to be fluent in Spanish, you probably got to go live in a Spanish-speaking country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I was immersed in white culture growing up. So I was fluent now in white culture. Then I was immersed in black culture in the NFL, so fluent in that culture. And so now when June hits, and I'm realizing, wait a second, there's a language barrier between my black Mm. brothers and sisters and my white brothers and sisters. The preparation of my life met the, and I hate to call it the opportunity because it was such a negative in our society, but the preparation of my life met the moment of this crisis. And I think just like that, everything took off. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't as though I had been planning or preparing this. It was my life experiences, Mm -hmm. positively and negatively, prepared me for the crisis. And we're so thankful for it. I mean, you communicate in a way that is so candid and welcoming. 
your uncomfortable conversations invite us to think twice about how we show up. Yeah, and how we live and share our values and what roles we play in our lives. But you know what's so crazy? Um, we, we, whenever we hear, whether we're, we're, whether it's a, a religious text or a movie um, or a book, we always put ourselves in the position of, of what, what suits us best. For example, whether you know the Bible or not, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath, right? We just use that so freely in sports. We always make ourselves David. Mm-hmm. We always make ourselves like the future unsung hero. There's so many people know the Old Testament story of Moses turned into a movie, you know, let my people go because Pharaoh is, is, is holding all these Israelites in captivity. But Drew, Linda, do we ever stop to think, are we Pharaoh? Do mm. we ever stop to think, are we Goliath in somebody's life? Mm. Mm. Are we Pharaoh in somebody's life? Like, are we actually the ones holding people in captivity? Are we actually the ones doing the injustice? Because when we watch these stories and when we read these movies, we're always the hero. Mm-hmm. We're never the villain. When in actuality, in life, there have been several villains over the course of years. And oftentimes in other people's lives, we have to be cognizant of the fact that maybe we're the villain. God, that's such a bitter pill to swallow because, I mean, we like to think of ourselves as good, kind people, but we're obviously far from perfect. Although, Linda, you're pretty perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she paid me to say that. <laughs> yeah, we know there are certain behaviors or like thought processes and language that we use that perpetuate racial discrimination and injustice and it can often go unchecked. Yeah, there could be ways that we're the villains in our stories and not even know it. I mean, because we either grew up a certain way or we were never told otherwise or we just didn't take the time to learn we were or we weren't educated by those that, like our parents mm-hmm. or teachers mm-hmm. i mean for example emmanuel actually talks about the word thug in his book and that's a word that i've actually used many times over the years but i didn't understand where the word came from to me i just thought that meant just some some guy who was trying to be tough and bully uh, but he says, Emmanuel says it's actually coming from the Hindi word thuggy, which means deceiver or thief or swindler. And the thing is, a lot of black people take offense to the word thug because they feel it's a new way of calling black people the N-word. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if I knew that, I would never use the word because right. that's not how I would mean to offend. Yeah, and even though you never used it, um, like you never attached that word to a specific race. No. Um it's, you know, it still matters. Like you just shouldn't use that word. It's perpetuating negativity. Understanding how much we don't know, it's a reminder that we should always be a little more forgiving when it comes to other people's mistakes. Mm -hmm. Here's a problem in our society. Our problem in our society is that we're so quick to want to dismiss someone if they make just one little mistake or even one large mistake. If they say something that we don't agree with or if they mess up, we just want to wash our hands with them. But the problem is that doesn't allow anyone room to grow or change their opinion. I've used this example before, Linda. Imagine imagine whatever it was, thousands of uh, thousand few decades, centuries ago, however you may say it, um, when, when we used to believe that the earth was flat. Now, imagine after we got more information and said, no, the earth isn't flat, it's round. Heck no, you said the earth was flat. You're an idiot. We're not listening to you ever again. Like yeah. that to me is how silly cancel culture is. Yeah. Allow people to gain more information and change their opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, I think we have to assess the difference between intention and action. 
If someone's intention was evil, then I am more understanding of canceling them. If the intention was pure, but the action was evil, that's different. For example, Linda, I got an email um, when I first started Uncomfortable Conversations. Emmanuel, I just thank you so much for speaking to me about race. I don't have very many colored friends. And so this really helped. They didn't mean nothing by that. I think they were from London or England. They spelled colored like C-O-L-O-U-R-E-D. That's how it's Canadian. Also Canadian. Canadian spell, yeah. (laughs) Right? I'm like, like, they, they didn't mean anything by it. So I didn't cancel them. I simply said, hey, please use the term black if some people will deem colored offensive and we don't use that anymore. And she's like, oh, I apologize. I meant nothing by it, et cetera, et cetera. Like, let's not cancel people who are well-intended. Let's educate them so we can move forward together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's such a beautiful and just um, more compassionate way to take people along with your journey of learning. I'm just always trying to find, like, let's all just find the central ground. Mm. Let's get back to our shared humanity. Because at the end of the day, that's what we can all agree on. It's a win-win when we don't immediately resort to canceling someone for making a mistake. When you create space for learning and lending our voices to things we care about, it makes it more encouraging to step outside of our comfort zone to grow. Mm -hmm. In a society where cancel culture is seen as the solution, we're fostering fear which inhibits learning because everyone is so afraid to say something wrong, which isn't beneficial for anyone. Let Let me chime in here because I know several of my white brothers and sisters are listening. It takes two to tango, meaning... You have to come to the conversation as a, as a white ally. You have to come to the conversation with a little bit of research done and education so that you do your best to avoid the minds that you may step on while delicately navigating such a sensitive topic as mm-hmm. race in this country. There, there's, there's history and, and pain and death there. Mm-hmm. Then... I caution my black brothers and sisters to extend even more grace towards the white allies that are trying to be helpful. Because if you have a white ally trying to be helpful, but they misspeak and now we lash at them, then you will no longer have an ally. I I saw a quote recently. um, If you make your friends your enemies, then all you will be left with is enemies. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to be cognizant of that. And now, What I will say is, Drew, I can't absolve several of my white brothers and sisters of their willful ignorance, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Several people would email me over over the course of uncomfortable conversations. Emmanuel, I don't like your conversations because I know you. You grew up in the church. You need to understand it's not about race. It's about grace. Or Emmanuel, it's not about skin. It's about sin. And I'm like, oh. Let's break this down, people. It can be both about sin and skin. It can mm-hmm. be about race and grace. Um, but I'm not canceling them for their imminent ignorance. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to educate them so we can move forward together. So, mm-hmm. Drew, what you just hit on is a whole conversation in and of itself. Yeah. But I do think we need to collectively, my white brothers and sisters, do more research so you don't come into things rudely. Let me say it like mm-hmm. this, Linda, before I stop. If you're going to go to a foreign country and you know these foreign countries have rules and practices and customs, 
educate yourself on the customs. I'm not mm. going to walk into somebody's house in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a country in Africa or a country in Asia and just not take my shoes off and just march all in through the house yeah. and then be mad at them when they get mad at me mm-hmm. for ignoring their customs. Yeah. No, let me read up on the customs and realize, okay, wait, when you're going to certain countries in Africa, remove your shoes. When you're shaking a chief's hand, bow your head, etc. Like, let's do some research so that we don't offend people. Yeah, I think that's just a matter of um, respect. After the break, we ask Emmanuel how to have uncomfortable conversations with people who don't want to listen. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. How do you have a conversation with uh, people whose ears and hearts are not open because people who are here to listen to you and watch your videos, they already have the perspective of, okay, I want to learn something. I want to do better. You do two things. Number one, you remember, don't throw pearls to swine. Um, meaning <laughs> don't give your heart and your energy and your attention to someone who is unwilling to receive it. Mm. If they are willing to listen, but they aren't yet ready to digest it or hear it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But don't waste your energy on someone who's just who's gung ho about being combative or being willfully ignorant. Now, after you understand that, I would start with facts, because, Linda, you can't debate factual information. If I told you that, you know, two plus two equals four. Well, no, Emmanuel equals five. <laughs> it equals three. Uh, Mm -hmm. No, no, no. I'm not talking about your feelings. I'm talking to you about a fact. Mm -hmm. And so when you start talking about racism, some of the facts are that a person with a white sounding name is twice as likely to get the job than the person with the black sounding name, assuming the resumes are equal. Mm-hmm. See, those are the facts. Let's talk about the facts of America and how redlining put black people after the war in, 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 in marginal communities and didn't afford them bank loans. And that is why so many black people are still impoverished to this day. Mm-hmm. You can't debate the facts. So I would start with facts. What has been one of the most surprising conversations that you've had in unconversations, uncomfortable conversations with a black man? The most, let me just say, most surprising is hard to answer. Mm -hmm. So let me say like, one of my favorites, one of my favorites. And remember, I make these conversations based off the audience. So uh, people email me, Emmanuel, can you please talk about this? I'm struggling with this. And I do so. I kept getting the same email. Emmanuel, I am white raising black children. Help. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I'm black and I was raised by black parents, so I can only do so much. But what I can do is have a conversation with people about it. So I brought on two white parents who have a biological white son, two adoptive black children from Haiti and one adopted biracial son um, Mm -hmm. from a domestic adoption. And we just had a very blunt conversation. The highlight of it, Drew and Linda, the most uncomfortable part of all the conversations and all the questions I've had and asked 
was when I asked the 12 year old adopted black daughter, mm-hmm. her name was Story. I asked her, I said, Story, do you wish your parents raising you were black or looked like you? And I asked her this with her mom and dad sitting to my right and Story immediately to my left. So uncomfortable because if she says yes, <laughs> tears are going to hit the ceiling mm-hmm. because like, man, that's, that's fairly offensive. You know, these white parents doing all they can. And their daughter says she wishes her parents raising her were black. If she says no, tears are going to hit the floor as well, because it's just such a genuine response. Yeah. And story looked at me and she simply said, no, Emmanuel, I just want my parents to love me for me. Mm-hmm. And that pierced my heart and the hearts of the viewers. So that mm-hmm. was probably the, most uncomfortable yet authentic and real yeah. conversation I had. And I, and I got to tell you, I was, I was going to say, I, I shed tears in that yeah. uh, conversation yeah. as well because when she was talking about um, her fear, you know, of losing a brother or her fear oh, of losing her gosh. own life. Oh my gosh, it, it brought tears to my eyes. But oh. you, you could feel you could feel the love in the family, and that's what Linda's crying right now. I'm tearing up. She's tearing up. It was it was so heartbreaking to hear kids, you know vocalize that fear to mm-hmm. of their lives like they should mm-hmm. not have to think about that we have to understand the reality that our children are seeing this and witnessing mm-hmm. this and being impacted by what's going on in our society so that's why it's so important as adults that we do the best we can to cultivate an atmosphere of love mm-hmm. for this world and that's really what you know our podcast is called at home and what you're talking about right there are those conversations that you you know, it's so crucial for families to have with their children at home. Um, what would you say is a, a conversation that you're really looking forward to having? Who's somebody that you would love to sit down and chat with or a group of people you'd love to sit down and chat with? So I want to sit down with a group of black police officers. My most recent episode was an army of all white police officers. Mm-hmm. So many people emailed me, Emmanuel, why'd you choose all white police officers? I didn't. I was in Petaluma, California, a population of 60,000, less than 1% white. The police force was white. I didn't Mm. choose that. They chose me. Um, So I would love to get a contrasting perspective of that front-facing unit of the government that really uh, affects our life. Um, I also want to sit down with Zoe Zaldana. Um, Her and I have had some conversations back and forth, but for those that don't know, several of the characters she's played on the big screen, whether it be Avatar, et cetera, she doesn't play like a black or white person. And Mm -hmm. I think that's so unique where you get to step out of your own skin color Mm -hmm. and and how has that affected your mind and how you view race and society. So those are just a couple concepts um, that, that I've toyed with. How do you respond to those people who say things like there are more important and urgent issues at hand or it's not just about black lives? What about indigenous people or women's rights, LGBTQ rights, climate issues, and the list goes on. And of course, one of the most common arguments in response to Black Lives Matter is when people say, yeah, but all lives matter. I would say this, let's respond using the word and instead of but. Mm. That's what I would say, because the the problem is so often like, okay, I understand that that, that, the, the black people are being oppressed right now, but what about... I understand that black people are, are being, uh, you know, being discriminated against. But what about rather than using but let's I understand black people are being discriminated against. Oh, and women are being discriminated. Oh, and the LGBTQ. Oh, and climate change is all like, let's make it an and as opposed to a but. 
Mm-hmm. And now that was the same issue that occurred with Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. It mm-hmm. wasn't like Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. It was, I mean, yeah, Black Lives Matter, but All Lives Matter. And that pivotal word of but, that mm-hmm. pivotal conjunction, if you will, um, it makes all the difference because we have to collectively attack issues collectively. Mm -hmm. Ben Franklin said justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are affected. Mm -hmm. It's not black versus white. It's not man versus woman. It's justice versus injustice, Mm -hmm. hate versus evil. Let's talk love versus hate. Mm -hmm. And so we all have to collectively fight each other's battles as opposed to trying to intertwine um, um, different battles. They're all intersected. They're all interconnected. Um, you know, it's, it's what, what is that saying? Rising tides raise yeah, raises all ships. All boats. So, oh, y'all, yeah. y'all say a rising tide raises all ships. Well, I heard a rising tide floats all boats. There, it, that, that sounds, that sounds more poetic. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. We know you have to go, but I hope we can continue more conversations uh, in the near future and all the best with everything that you're growing and all, and thank you so much for everyone that you're inspiring. Yeah, thank you so much for spreading love. Mm-hmm. Thank you all. The pleasure was mine. Until next time, my friends. This conversation was so inspiring and encouraging and we're going to put a bunch of the links and the resources um, in the show notes. Yeah, and also at the end of Emmanuel's book, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, also has a lot of great resources, links to books, movies, essays. He also has a section called Quick Talks, which I really like because he calls it his playbook for things to look out for in the road to anti-racist allyship. Even something like taking an ethnic cooking class can open our eyes to a different culture. And it gives us a deeper appreciation for others. Well, I think at the end of the day, if more people saw all of us on this planet as one big family, it's not just who's with you inside your walls of your house. I think that would really help. We all really need to be here to support each other and spread more love. Yeah. And these are all things that we should practice and celebrate beyond Black History Month. Definitely. Well, thanks to everybody for joining us this week. And thank you to our homies. Brandon Angelino. Annalie Bell. Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis. Wes Friend. Chris Cobain. Jessica Bryant-Harvey. We have a great, talented group of people with us here. We love them. And our theme song is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. Music composition by Rick Russo. If you have a few seconds, don't forget to subscribe and rate. Or else I'll find you. <laughs> Leave a comment and connect with us on social media as well. We are always looking to hear from you at At Home. See you Bye. next time. Love ya. Love you all. And you too, Linda. <laughs> Love you. Yeah, it feels like home.